on April 18, 1775, Paul Revere rode from Boston to Lexington to warn of the arrival of British soldiers. He started this ride at a small tavern on Union Street. This tavern's name was the Green Dragon. The Green Dragon Tavern was not only the beginning place of Revere's famous ride, but also the birthplace of American freedom. On this podcast, we will explore what it means to be American and how we can all be protectors of the American freedom our founding fathers fought for. Join us in our journey to rediscover what it means to be Americans. Hi guys, and welcome back to another week of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Aiden. I'm your fellow host, Tom. And your fellow host, Jake. Guys, we're back another week. We haven't seen the world blown blown to bits, as everybody's predicted. So that's some good that's some good news. Um last week, uh you know, there was a lot of stuff going around uh, about Russia nuking Ukraine and nuking the US and all sorts of crazy stuff. But I think we'll discuss it a little bit today, but I think we can maybe shed a little bit more light, kind of give our thoughts on that. Um, I think there's been a lot of tension between obviously the US and Russia and Ukraine. But I think a lot of the media that we see has portrayed the situation to be a little bit worse than it actually is. Imagine that. Um, and it's a, the situation is bad, but the media always has an act for showing what they want to show to create more fear in us. And I think that's something this week I realized more than recently. Um, it's just, it's, it's almost like I'm back in, in the good old days of COVID when you turn on the news and the world seemed to be falling apart constantly, according to the news, when in fact, you know, places like Florida were perfectly fine. Um, so we'll discuss, I think, the, that news a little bit today. And there was a lot, uh, there was a lot of good um, podcasts I listened to this week, guys, that I, I kind of want to go over. One today, especially, um, that came up and I, I got a chance to listen to, Tom, I know you listened to, to some of it, but it was the Tulsi Gabbard and Joe Rogan uh, she went on Joe Rogan's podcast. And I think there was a lot of things she said there that I guess needed to be said, especially by somebody that is, has a lot more influence, especially in the political sphere than most people. Um, and I, I felt like she really, she, she showed me, I think, or she displayed that there are still some good um, politicians out there. Some some politicians that actually have the people um, of America's interest in mind and not just their own interest. So I thought that was really great. So I think we'll chat about that too. Um, but I did want to clarify something real quick because uh, I was listening to last week's podcast. And one thing that I noticed is I didn't clarify um, the legislation being pushed that would ban all gas-powered vehicles in California. 
So the current legislation being pushed would ban, uh, this is the timeline. I didn't really have a good idea of the timeline, so I just wanted to give you guys the timeline. Uh, the current legislation would uh, ban the sales of all gas-powered vehicles by 2035, so a little over 10 years from now. What I did find ironic, and I don't know if we mentioned this in the last podcast, but a week after this was announced, California actually um, told electric car owners that they couldn't charge their <laughs> their vehicles because the power grid was all screwed up. So if that just kind of gives you an idea of the issues going on over there in California, um, that that sums it up nicely. Um, but I, yeah, I just wanted to clarify that because I don't think I actually gave an accurate date there. But yeah, um, if you guys, do you guys want to discuss the, the Tulsi Gabbard podcast a little bit? I know before we hopped on, we were talking about it a little bit, but I thought there was a lot of really good insights there from Tulsi. Um, as always, Joe Rogan did an excellent job interviewing, um, and there was a lot of great conversation there. But uh, Tom, did you have anything you wanted to share I know you listen to the full podcast, so you might have a better idea. I got the first like 40 minutes of it. Um, well, something that I was, it was really nice to hear. So they started talking to each other about like, just how crazy the left has been and supporting all these really strange ideologies. Um, and so they're just breaking down like the things that they're supporting and then the way that Tulsi thought the Democrats should have been. So she was saying that when she joined the Democratic Party, she wanted it to be like J.F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King, like a party of the people. But she said now it's just become like pretty much the antithesis of almost all things American, like free speech. Um, she didn't mention guns, but guns um uh, yeah just all the things that we hold true for freedom in america and she said that she said that they're anti-freedom she says they don't want us to have the liberties that our founding fathers gave us and um so i thought it was really inspirational listening to someone like that because she said she was in the dnc and she was kind of in the weeds with all of it and when she first came on, they were like, well, this will be the face of the Democratic Party. And then they quickly found out that she wasn't a normal one. And she said that um, all of her campaigns were as a uh, independent Democrat. So she wasn't backed by the actual party per se. So that was interesting. Because when listening to her and like seeing her before, I'm like, how in the world could she be a Democrat? You know, like she's so level-headed. It seems so strange, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I kind of, I guess I didn't realize that until I listened to the podcast. And yeah, I mean, she's, she's, she's really, I mean, from somebody that comes from the Democratic Party, I don't, I don't typically um, agree with most Democrat politicians, but listening to her in the past, I, I really respected her. And I think I respect her even more after listening to this podcast today. But I thought, yeah, like you said, Tom, I think the thing that really stood out to me was how adamant she was 
Um, and this is the reason she's actually leaving the Democratic Party. She announced that uh, she's leaving the Democratic Party and becoming an independent because she she really emphasized how the Democratic Party, which, like you said, used to be the party for the people, is now anti-free speech, anti-free thought, free expression, all these things. And really, I mean, attacking every single liberty that makes us American, which is it's I mean, their their party at heart is currently anti-American. And that's that's a that's a scary thing. Um, when you know half the country votes votes Democrat, and not that not that uh, um, you know every Democrat thinks that way. And I think that's maybe the other thing that I took away from this is how it's important not to take a whole group of people and kind of lump them all together because. Obviously, for a long time, Tulsi Gabbard was part of the Democratic Party, and I'm sure there's plenty of other Democrats like her that maybe don't have the same voice that she has, and that would like to see a lot of change within the current um, the current leadership in the Democratic Party. And I think this extremism that we're seeing, especially in the last five years, for sure, is is anti-American. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, I also liked how another thing you brought up, Tom, um, is that she kind of ran as an independent in the, in the Democratic Party. She didn't run necessarily with the Democratic Party's backing. I think the thing that I guess I had realized in the past, but never really put two and two together is, you know, how how much career politicians are plaguing America and how much of a plague it is to America to have these career politicians. Because one of the things I really respect, at least in her and the other people that do this is they, they realize when they need to separate themselves from a certain political party or not take you know, the backing of a political party or even a special interest group and all these things, because they're not in it for the money. Like a lot of politicians are, they're not in it for the money. They're actually in it to make a change. And I think she's one of the few that's actually in it to make a change. I think there's very few out there. And, yeah. and so that was really cool to kind of hear that because I don't have a lot of trust to be honest with for most politicians, because most of them seem like they're in it for the money. And if you're in it for the money, <laughs> you're probably not making decisions that are based off what the American people want or should have. You're making it based on what's going to line your pocket. So I thought that was interesting too. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was thought that was really cool. Yeah, you know, listening to that. Uh to her interview with Rogan brought back some memories from 2020 for me when she was in the Democratic primary debate and completely eviscerating Kamala Harris, taking yeah. down Biden. <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, there's there's no way she's a slam dunk. She's going to be going against Trump. And this was before I was really into politics and understood how the deep state works. <laughs> um, <laughs> but 
obviously didn't pan out. They gave it to Joe. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just remember being struck by how sincere she seemed as opposed to the rest of the candidates from the Democrats as well as the Republicans even. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to look back to 2020 and see how she, I mean, she very clearly was, um, the best candidate for the democratic party. And she, she not only was the best candidate, but she also in the debates pointed out the severe flaws that a lot of the other people running. And I, and I would even venture to say, I think she was the one that kept Kamala Harris from actually running for president and not being the vice president because of what she, you know, brought to light. And that's something that's, really really it's amazing to me that it wasn't really brought out by a lot of news sources before but kamala harris was at her record for somebody that i think i think joe rogan brought this up for somebody that totes her record so as much as kamala harris does she has a horrible record and it's not that hard to find you know she she she's held people in prison longer than they should have been in prison so they could do um you know forced labor i mean her she she's she's had so many infringements on American liberty and American citizens' liberty. It's amazing she's even our vice president. I mean, it's, it's shocking, really, and it's disgusting because she shouldn't be. And the only reason she's there is because she fits the profile of what the Democratic Party wanted. And that's somebody that falls in line with the narrative they're trying to push. And it also is that she's a woman and she's a woman of color. So it, it checks all the boxes for them doesn't matter that she's got a crappy record they can erase that you know what i mean they can just tell the media not to not to run the stories so i mean that that to me you know really put it in perspective on how much of a, a grasp that the political parties have on our on on the ability to skew the media skew news stories skew the public perception to this point where they can get somebody at the into into the office of vice president that is so anti-american as kamala harris is or if you look at joe biden and and some of the things that have come to light especially recently with you know his dealings with china and, and hunter biden's laptop and all those things that came out. i mean it's truly incredible that they were able to elect into office these two people and i think it's largely to do with the the power and and the ability they have to manipulate the public's perception on this. And I thought one, I think, you know, I, I listened to Mark Zuckerberg and Joe Rogan's podcast. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, this makes so much more sense. Now when you, uh, Mark Zuckerberg was talking about how the FBI came to him when it was, it was the Joe Biden, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop story. And they said, there's going to be some false, a false narrative that could affect the election, you know, even, even, and it was about uh, Hunter Biden's laptop. So even if, even if Mark Zuckerberg and Meta didn't know that this was true or false, they still let the FBI kind of step in and interfere with, I mean, interfere with election. So I, I think it's, it just shows you the extent that politicians and, and political parties are willing to go to maintain their power control and access to money it's just 
it's mind boggling. I mean, all the, all the reach they have. Um, yeah, I think, uh, Besides that, that might actually be a decent segue into some current news. If you guys don't have anything else to add on the Tulsi Gabbard podcast, uh, I saw a story this week that actually came up. It looks like Hunter Biden actually might be, could possibly be charged um, for, the con for the contents of his laptop. The FBI is saying... Wait, really? Uh, well, it's it's very possible. It it, it could it it could be uh which would be a huge win. Um, now whether we'll see it because of the clout that he holds as the president's son, will we see it in the next two years, three years? Maybe not, but hopefully we'll see somebody come to justice. Um, but does do you guys have any um? Do you guys have any notes on did you guys look into that at all yeah i mean i think it's just it's just fascinating what he how he was able to fly under the radar being the vice president's son and the amount of shady business dealings that he had that were revealed by this laptop um yeah and there is this kind of this conception around him that he's sort of this hotshot businessman that maybe got caught up in some things that he shouldn't have um, or some foreign foreign dealings that were possibly illicit, but that was brought on by the, um, the spotlight that is on him being uh, the son of a prominent world figure. But I mean, the reality is that it's the reverse. He has really no background whatsoever in business venture capitalism any of the uh skills that he claims to bring to the table he really he after joe biden um was elected along with barack obama to be vice president he ended up hunted set up a series of pass-through entities to manage his foreign dealings and <laughs> Uh, as revealed on the laptop, it turned out that he had received roughly $31 million in funds from Chinese businesses, all of which are pretty closely uh, tied to the CCP. And the thing is that in exchange for that $31 million, there's little to no evidence of really any legitimate business that he did or professional services that he provided to them which begs the question like what then what was that money for because of china's not going to be giving out free money to the u.s president's son there's got to be wow. something more to the story there um and <laughs> a little a little test that i like to that i like to run when there's something i believe is being underreported by the media or conversely overreported is substitute either Trump or Russia into the equation for the the subject of the <laughs> of the test. 
So in this case, in this case, you could substitute both. Let's say that uh, Donald Trump Jr. had dealings with Russian-based companies in that regard, unexplained dealings, as a matter of fact. Um, do we really think that that would go unreported by the media as it has with Hunter? Probably not. No, not at all. <laughs> but yeah. And then furthermore, there's also, as revealed by this laptop leak, um he's actually there's actually personal emails where he explicitly refers to having to give money to joe um there's one he's kind of ranting ranting to his family members saying that like i'm not going to make you guys give half my salary to dad like he does or something along those lines implying that he's in fact funneling funds to to his father Wow. Which is ironic, given that Biden has stated that he never has never spoken in his life to Hunter about any of his business dealings. Um, yeah. Also, there's um, a few more emails that I remember reading about from that laptop where he's um, like he's bringing in foreign dignitaries or the board members of these Chinese companies and actually arranging meetings for them with uh, people in, in the Pentagon and the White House. So it's just, it's mind-blowing the stuff that he was able to pull off and not face any repercussions for it even after the laptop leak just because, um, really, because his dad was running against Trump. That was the only reason that he was able to get away with any of this. Wow. That is, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it really is mind boggling when you look at, <laughs> when you start looking at the extent of that, that's insane. And, uh, yeah, just to think that the media that we're supposed to get our information from is completely failed to give us any of this or, it seems like our political systems failed too. If, if we're allowing politicians to be in power that have, I mean, quite, if this is all true, which I'm pretty sure it is, quite clearly have acted in nefarious ways, you know, whether it's through them or their families. And I think that's another interesting, interesting point to make is that, you know, I was thinking about, I was listening to, um, couple different things this weekend one of the things that kept popping up was they kept talking about uh nancy pelosi and nancy pelosi's insider trading which is if you look at it, it's quite hilarious i mean um her husband i forget what his name is uh, i i feel stupid i'm blanking on it do you guys do you guys paul. know paul paul, paul pelosi. pelosi paul pelosi paul pelosi apparently i think i heard this it could have been today with the tulsi gabbard podcast i think joe rogan said that paul pelosi in his in his investments in the stock market is more successful than Warren Buffett and George Soros. Can you, I mean, just think about that. And, and this guy, I, I'm sure I, I, I don't want to put down Paul Pelosi. I mean, I know he, he actually, <laughs> I don't know how smart he is. He, he was drunk driving, but <laughs> didn't he get a DUI or something like that recently? He did. <laughs> but I mean, if I was, if I was 
married to Nancy, married to Nancy. I, might, I, might, uh, I might I might have some <laughs> issues too hey, I wouldn't even be drinking I'd have that alcohol pumped into me via IV I'd be on a I would be on a constant drip I mean I I don't even know if I could say I'd be just consuming alcohol I may might be uh on some on some other drugs too <laughs> uh, but um yeah yeah it, should, it blew my mind I was like oh my gosh like kid like and I'm like to think that a guy like that is more successful than the most successful investors of all time, like Warren Buffett. Like that's crazy. And how is that possible? Well, his wife is feeding him information, so he can make so he can he can invest in these companies when she knows they're they're going to go up and they can get out before they tank. And uh, yeah, she she's making bank. I'm sure she siphons. Probably, probably just like uh, Sneaky Joe siphoning off money from his son. I'm sure Nancy's siphoning off money from Paul. Maybe that's why Paul Paul was probably trying to escape with some cash when, when he got in that accident. <laughs> trying to leave Nancy, but it, it, it it's crazy, and you know, it just it it's mind boggling that. And I think this goes back to that idea that career politicians are the plague in America. They're, they're truly destroying the American trust in, in politics and in politicians in the system we have in place. They're using it to, to benefit themselves. And in the meantime, they've completely ruined our country. And everything our country st- stood for, and it's just disgusting to see. It's really sad. But that that was some that was some great information. I I actually hadn't actually heard too much about the actual um, specifics, but that was great, Jake. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Tom, did you have anything to add to the Hunter Biden? Uh, not really. Like that was really um helpful Jake telling us about all that because I I just heard glimpses of things but that was really interesting yeah that was great yeah absolutely I should uh probably reference it it's um the information is derived from the book red-handed by Peter Schweitzer he's a uh, I believe he's a collaborator at Breitbart um so for any of our listeners who are interested there's all that and a lot more <laughs> A lot more exposure. Um, he goes into actually Pelosi, the, both Pelosi's he talks about their dealings with China. Um, he goes into the Bush and Trudeau dynasties, which I had no idea um, were were affiliated with with the CCP. But in fact, there are ties there as well. So yeah, it's just a fascinating and really deeply disturbing book as well when you think about it just seeing how how wrapped up um with the ccp our elites are in this country mm-hmm. and most most of us don't know and that's that's a crazy thing and we are we we ought to know yeah is is that the uh the book that they made the movie my son hunter from i believe so yes yeah it came out I think in February of this year and then yeah, yeah, my son Hunter followed up on that. I was I looked up the the website for that and 
since it's an accurate film, they put in like big caps underneath the trailer. It's like, warning, this movie is not for everybody. There is sex, more sex, and then more sex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. So I was like, oh, that's funny because they just were showing what he did, but to do that, it had to be a very um, non family friendly movie. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> we should we should maybe um maybe we could put this in the notes for this podcast, but um maybe we can leave the links for those that book and that and that movie uh in our show notes so that um our listeners can can go find those in a quick manner. I think that'd be helpful. Um because I think I, I haven't I haven't read the full book yet, Jake, but I've been I'm meaning to get through the whole thing and so far i was it's amazing it's really it really is amazing how much i i guess i never really i mean i realized it but not to the extent i never thought it could be the extent that it that it is our connections with the ccp in china and and all the business dealings i mean every really every elite when you start to look at it it's like oh my gosh like we're all in bed and no wonder now, you know, you got Trudeau um, letting the Chinese, you know, have police stations in, in Canada. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Hopefully we don't get to that point. Do you guys want to hear a funny article I saw? It's just hysterical. You wouldn't believe it unless it was actually written, but uh Denise D'Souza shared this on Truth Social, but there is a uh, an article written in the Atlanta, and I guess there's a study done showing that white people sleep better than black people, and they said it's not fair. <laughs> no joke. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing. I was like, this is hysterical. Like. Oh my gosh! Like, what are they? Wow. Is it because we have my fellows, or? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I just, it was hysterical. I, I just had to share that. That is hilarious. Oh my god! Yeah, there's so many, so many different ways you can go with that. I don't even, I don't even know. <laughs> uh... That is, it's amazing that's even, that even was, uh, yeah, I, I would have never guessed it's out there. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've, I've found if you want a good laugh, go to the Atlantic. Um, another funny account. It's on Instagram. It's called feminist. Um, they oh, have some, yeah. some pretty, uh, pretty woke content that will, <laughs> make you uh will give you a little chuckle if you're a, a right thinking person yeah it just it, it isn't it funny like you go to like some of these it, it almost seems like it should be like like it's like a bad joke you read some of this stuff and yeah you're like oh my gosh these yeah. people are serious like how crazy are they yeah like, how crazy are they not to go down a rabbit hole here but today i was absolutely appalled listening to that podcast I think it was Joe Rogan brought this up, but he was talking about this. Uh, I think it was a, a school that um, one of the kids identified as a 
I don't know what you call them, a furry, like a cat. So the parents, the parents literally let their kid, they have a, they have a litter box for their kid and their kid goes to the bathroom in this litter box. I'm like, oh my gosh, first of all, unsanitary, you know, and, and Joe Rogan made this point. If you could teach a cat to use the toilet, you can have your furry kid use the toilet. And I was like, thank you. Thank you. Somebody said it. Somebody said it. <laughs> but like, you hear some of this stuff and you're like, oh my gosh, that can't be real. <laughs> but it is. And you're like, what does this world come to? Oh, it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I've, um, I've got a friend who has a close relative that works at a high school near me. And she was telling me that apparently there's a push to install uh, litter boxes in the bathrooms at the high school for the students who <laughs> identify as furries. I, I hope you're joking. Are you serious? No. At a high school? At a high no, school? There's at a high school. There's oh uh, like a movement to install. I don't think they haven't followed through on it, but there I is uh, there is a push. Oh <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty scary. Wow. People wonder why they're not happy. You can't be happy <laughs> taking a one or two in the litter box. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think about the mess you make. I mean. It's all over your. You get the 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 kitty litter all over your hands and feet. You're tracking around the school. I mean, oh god, it's terrible. Not to mention the smell, human piss, in a in a bathroom. Oh gosh, it's just oh disgusting. That's bad. That's really bad. I'm yeah. It's just it's just it's wrong. It's just crazy. It's crazy. Kind of pray for those people. Yeah. Oh, that makes you need to take a deep breath and maybe a drink after hearing some of, about some of that stuff. <laughs> they have uh, conventions for them, too. I don't know if you guys knew that. Furry, Furry conventions. conventions. Yeah. Yeah. And they go down. They actually, like, um, it's like a gathering of furries. And the, it's the saddest part is the parents are taking the kids to these things. Wow. And they can go around, they can like play, play in play pens and uh I think like they get pet by by people. It's like it's so so wrong. But yeah, those do those do exist, unfortunately. I wish I was wow. wish I was just trolling, but no, <laughs> that's cool. uh that's the reality. Wow, that's crazy. Oh man, yeah. Makes you wonder where we're at as a society. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, the, the China's like training like their six-year-olds to be like military. Uh, everybody's trained in the military. So if we keep going down this road, we'll be we'll be uh, pretending we're dogs and cats while they take us over. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Chinese, Chinese and Korean military are rolling around on shreds of glass. We're yeah. rolling around in <laughs> playpens and furry playpens. Exactly. Oh, jeez. 
No oh boy. Well, moving on, because that's I, I'll be depressed for the rest of the night if we keep talking about this. I mean, seriously, it's it's oh. moving on to a, a little bit of good news. Um, I'm very happy about this because there's nobody more in this world than that I despise than Alec Baldwin. And for those of you who don't know, Alec Baldwin, I'm not sure how you don't know about this, but Alec Baldwin um, actually killed was it one person and injured, severely injured another earlier. Was it this, was it the beginning of this year that that happened? I think it was like March, right? He was filming a, a Netflix movie and um, it was an old Western movie or supposed to be like an old Western movie. And he fired a gun without checking the contents you know it, it was said to hold a blank but it in fact did not and it fired a real bullet into a real person that he had the gun pointed at so right there i mean there's there's two rules of gun safety broken and um yeah i mean it was a really sad case and he didn't do him i mean he everything he said and did after that was kind of the blame game you know i didn't pull the trigger was one of the things he said i mean who believes that shit i mean seriously so he claimed for why he didn't pull the trigger then ballistics experts proved that he could not in fact fire the gun unless he pulled the trigger so it seems like now because of that evidence there's a chance that he gets charged for murder. Now, whether he gets a full sentence like a normal person would is left to be seen. Um, I don't know. Will he escape scot-free because he's the elite of Hollywood? Probably. But I'm hopeful that somebody that is as outspoken as he is on gun control and gun violence where he is he's very anti-gun and then to film a movie where you have a gun in it why are you doing that if you're anti-gun money <laughs> if this is the short answer money uh but then to completely be that ignorant so to have no no knowledge to the to the point where you break all the cardinal rules of gun safety and you end up killing a person and then you end up blaming it on the gun when in fact you were the one that pulled the trigger and if he would have practiced gun safety rules, that death could have been avoided. So there's a lot there, but I think it's one of those cases where the elite of the Ho the elite of Hollywood really um, don't deserve uh, they they don't deserve free passes. And this is just another case. I hope that he's brought this whole this whole situation. He's brought to the charges he should be because he doesn't deserve any free passes of the law because he's Alec Baldwin. And um, I'm not just saying this because I'm a firm believer in the Second Amendment and he's outspoken against it. I'm saying this because it's it should it should be the right the right thing to do to, con, to convict him of murder because he he clearly did it. it. It probably isn't first degree murder in it anyway, but it's it's murder nonetheless he murdered somebody so uh hopefully we see that that was something i saw pop up in the news this week so we'll, we'll kind of follow that a little bit more but it seems like right now with that evidence that there was no way the gun could have fired 
without him pulling the trigger, it makes all the comments and remarks he's made for the last six months look stupid, which I'm happy because any any um, any gun uh, Second Amendment supporter knew that from the very start this was a bunch of BS. So kind of happy about that one. Well, not happy, but you know what I mean. Um, so yeah, there's that one. I don't know if you guys have anything to add to that. I just kind of saw it pop up quickly. Yeah, no, that was about about what I've heard about it as well. Yeah, um, it's. I'm sure it's. It would be nice for the families involved in in the aftermath of that to hopefully get some closure because i can't imagine as the family of the forget the name of the lady that died but for her family to get closure would be would be great because i can't imagine what they're going through so there is no way that the gun could have gone off without him pulling the trigger no. like we know that yeah i was i'm just curious like um not even in this situation just in general can a gun go yeah. off at any point in time without pulling so, it so this particular gun i i can't remember the model number um but it's a it's a it's a revolver so i think in this case you'd have to pull the trigger for tom maybe you know a little bit more about this but it it releases the lever which then triggers the the firing pin to hit the primer of the the bullet and then causing the ignition of the gunpowder and the release of the bullet so there's no way for that hammer to move forward and hit the pin hard enough to get the primer ignited in this case so it would only happen if that essentially the lever or the trigger which act as the lever to throw the lever forward to hit the firing pin and primer tom is that right does that sound right i'm not very familiar with revolvers but that's kind of the impression I was, I was given. It sounds right. Yeah, I, I need to review revolvers as well. But yeah. but yeah, in in that case, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it would be. Yeah, it's it's next to impossible for a gun like that to go off randomly, and. Um, I mean, even if even if even if it did go off randomly, he still had it pointed at somebody, which isn't isn't in any way, shape, or form smart. Um, and that goes against one of the major gun safety rules: you never point a firearm at something you don't intend to kill, whether it's loaded or not. So, unfortunately, I think that's one. Of, I think the issue it brings up is that a lot of these people that are anti two A anti gun know absolutely nothing about guns and firearm safety so they like to preach on this stuff but then they don't actually know anything and i think this was seen in the kyle rittenhouse trial where the prosecutor held up a, a ar-15 and was pointing it around the court courtroom i mean he just looked like an idiot and he was pointing it at people and the gun wasn't loaded obviously but still you you make yourself look like a complete jackass doing something like that because you're just showing everybody that you know nothing about guns and you have no respect for the 
for the the instrument that a firearm is and so i think it's for these people to tell you what to be able to what you can and can't do with firearm is just stupid it's just really stupid gets me fired up i don't like it <laughs> don't like it at all um but yeah it be interesting to see what happens um okay the last um kind of domestic news i had guys was that whole paypal thing that i, I sent it to you guys this week i thought that was crazy um paypal for those of you who don't know has a new and and there's been a lot of like back and forth in the news about this so they said they're not going to do this now but this was the policy that they put out it's called the new acceptable use policy and it would begin on november 3rd 2022 and it would essentially allow them paypal to withdraw twenty five hundred dollars from accounts so this is your personal account, $2,500 from accounts. If they can find anything you said is, which is objectionable. And it could literally be that you say something about, I mean, to the extent of maybe even like you're, you're pro 2A or you're pro Trump or it, it doesn't, it doesn't limit anything. I mean, anything they find objectionable that isn't woke they can essentially go into your account and remove $2,500. And then PayPal came out and said, wait, 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 no, we won't be fining people 200 or $2,500. I'm like, really? But you still got this policy in place. So I don't know what's going on, guys. I don't know if you guys saw anything else, but I was like, I saw this and I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, another crazy, you know, big company like this. And, and this is, seems insane because you're literally stealing people's money. I mean, I, I don't even understand how that's legal. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> it's just crazy how far how far we've come with the censorship. I mean, you think back five years ago to where I guess that's about where I would kind of pinpoint when this a lot of these efforts started. It was when Trump was running for the first time and I remember people back then were starting to say I noticed on Twitter people would be saying that they were being shadow banned or losing followers not having their tweets show up in people's feeds but just the speed with which that has accelerated to where now you're literally taking people's money who don't go along with the mainstream narrative I mean I mean, five years, that's all it takes. It's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, it's, it's scary. I mean, and, and this, and this, in my mind, like, I'm just thinking like, what's the next big step that happens? And if it's not these private companies doing this banning and taking your money, what happens with these new 80,000 IRS employees? Are they going to be showing up at your doorstep to take $2,500, $5,000, $10,000 from you for saying something bad about the government? I mean, seriously, I mean, where does this stop? And that's, that's where I get the most nervous is it's like, okay, if we allow this to happen, what is the next step? Because it's already gone pretty damn far as far as I'm concerned. And we need to take it about 15 steps back. 
at least before we're even talking about some sane rational thinking at all and so where do, i mean where does it go from here that's my biggest question is if we don't stop this what is what's the next big thing that they're going to say you know keep in mind too that those uh irs agents you mentioned are now well trained in firearm tactics um mm -hmm. i think i remember they were providing i forgot what the term was it was like weaponry usage or something but yeah it's like <laughs> how how did irs agents all of a sudden become i guess enforcers is what they're what they're trying to create out of them yeah they've essentially weaponized the irs in the most literal way possible they've they've armed them and they've trained them to be essentially i mean like any other three-letter government agency so now they can come take your money with the guns that they stole that the that the um atf stole from you yeah so that's uh it's a crazy one i don't know what to think about it i'm yeah i'm gonna have to keep track of that one because where does it go i don't know if this will actually be able to i just can't, I, I can't understand how this could be legal i really don't and so um i know if, if it if if this is a real policy i won't be using paypal anymore I mean, that's stupid and I hope, hopefully, a lot of people will kind of step up and say no to that if that's the case. Well, I know yesterday their stock dropped three percent, and it dropped another six percent today. I had some. I'm not sure if this is the correct number, but it was about nine billion in value of the stock lost. So hopefully that'll wake them up. But yeah, that's a good start. Know. Hey, that's a good start. You also wonder too, like how Netflix and other companies like that are still around because their stocks have depleted so far. I think they're down 74% this year or something like that. That's crazy. Makes you wonder if there's some funneling going on there from good old Uncle Sam. You never know. Hmm. Wow. Yep. Well, we're going to mo move into some more exciting news. I think um, some world news we got here. Just we'll briefly touch on this because I do want to get to our main topic for today. Um, but there was a um, Russian airstrike that hit Kiev in Ukraine two days after the Kerch Bridge was bombed in uh, Crimea. Russia blamed uh the uh, ukrainian government for the attack and uh russian officials putin actually uh, said they will respond appropriately to ukrainian attacks on russia so that's kind of the big news um coming out of russia right now uh also that um a russian official has claimed to sky news arabia that ukraine is seeking to obtain a nuclear weapon 
Um, this is a claim that Ukraine's previously denied. So it's it's really tough, guys. And I know we talked about this a little bit before the podcast, but it's really tough to know what information you're getting on this is true or not. Um, obviously, you get the big headlines like this Russian airstrike and um, the bombing of the bridge in Crimea. But it's just so hard to kind of sift through all the different news sources and the different agendas they're trying to push, whether it's European news source or a liberal U.S. news source or a, you know, primarily Republican or or conservative uh, American news source. It's just so tough to sift through all the BS to get to actually what's going on. But at least from my perspective, I think the thing that makes me struggle with this is that I, and I hate to say it, is as bad as everything that Russia's done. I don't agree with the invasion of Ukraine. But when it comes to, you know, Russia, Russian, this, the statement that was, um, I believe from Putin that said, um, they, that Russia will respond appropriately, appropriately to Ukrainian attacks on Russia. I can't say that if, if this was the U.S. responding to an attack on the U.S., I can't say that I would expect any less different of a response. I get where I, I feel like I get where they're coming from. I think this is maybe the important thing to to really look at when we're trying to look objectively at big issues like this, where there's a lot of different conflicting news sources is you have to look at both sides and you have to put yourself in the other person's shoes and say, you know, how would I, how would I react to this situation? And for me, at least I, I kind of do get where Russia's going. If, if this was an actual attack on Russia, it's, I, I can't say that I don't a hundred percent disagree with that, that response is at least the statement made that they respond appropriately to Ukrainian attacks on Russia. And I don't think that Ukraine attacking Russia is necessarily the best response to this, or if it's true that they're trying to obtain nuclear weapon, I don't think a nuclear standoff or nuclear war with Russia is the right way to resolve this situation. And I don't think it will end well for anybody. So I think there's, a certain point when somebody needs to look up look at this objectively because if not who knows maybe we'll end up in uh in nuclear oblivion i i don't know i don't know what you guys' thoughts are on this that was just kind of my take yeah it's definitely with the amount of misinformation going on very difficult to I guess, gauge the situation and make a moral decision on which side to support or which one to. Um, I think how to phrase this. I mean, I always say when the Western media is demonizing a country, in this case, Russia, there's at least something right that they're doing, (laughs) given how how radically left our media establishment is. And I mean, Putin has said some 
pretty um pretty striking statements regarding the u.s and our the direction that we're heading in i know a couple weeks ago he made a comment saying that like the west is pushing the work of satan um by by implementing their gender ideologies which i was like you know i can't really disagree with that as much as i would (laughs) as much as i don't like to say say that i agree with them um you know there are i think there's a little bit more to the story than meets the eye for one thing i know that the donbass region um since the annexation of crimea in 2014 i think there have been i want to say at the very least 7000 deaths due to the partisan infighting in uh the donbass region between the ukrainian national nationalists and the russian partisans so that's clearly a problem that putin claimed to be solving by invading i don't agree with that but it wasn't simply an annexation based upon Russia just being greedy for more territory, as the some of the media talking heads would have you believe. Um, on the other hand, there are things, um, you know, bombings that Russia's carried out that were completely unethical as this as this bridge bombing carried out by Ukraine was. So, you know, overall, just a very, very complex situation and one that, you know, again, our media would have everybody in their perfect world be totally siding with Ukraine. But that's really just, I mean, you can't, as I said, you can't make a moral, can't take a moral stance in this situation, I don't think, one way or the other. Yeah, I, think, I don't know if any of that made sense or not, no, but <laughs> it, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I think I think the important thing is to not even take a side necessarily, and I know that's and that's exactly what the media pushes. It's always to take a side, and that's what our politicians want. But really, to look at this in the most humane way possible, I think is probably the best way to phrase it, and look at both sides and see. There's people on both sides suffering. There's there's people in Russia that are getting drafted into this war that they don't want to fight. They don't want to be out there fighting, right? And there's people probably on the Ukrainian side. I mean, they were forced into this whole thing, and they probably don't want to be out there fighting, and they don't want to see their, their brothers, their sisters, their mothers, their kids die in bombings. And so I think there's there's so much to unpack there, but I think it, the the best way to look at this is is just look at it from the most humane way you can, and and ask yourself, is picking a side really going to solve anything? And wouldn't we be better off? And wouldn't this whole situation be better off if people could come to an agreement on something instead of being so divided? And uh, there's this there's this tendency for humans to be very partisan or very tribal in the way we look at things there's a right there's a wrong way there's the good guys there's the bad guys very black and white but really at the end of the day we're all i mean we're not that much different we're all these these borders that we make up are are an imaginary line and at the end of the day we're all humans we're all brothers and sisters 
So it's, I think, always important to look at both sides because we need to do our very best to work together because, I mean, we, we've got this, this great big world and we've got lots of people around us. Why, why stay angry at each other? We can make the best out of it. You know what I mean? And we get really like, we get in our own little bubble, our own little country might be our own state. It might be our own even town. And we just kind of like annex ourselves from the rest of rest of the world. And I think it's just important to have a, to have a, a little bit bigger view on things and a bigger picture. Does it really help to, to kind of segregate yourself from the rest of society in the long run? I don't know if it does, but I think the better world would be better off if we could kind of all take that approach to a certain extent. Yeah, well said. Um, I think it is. It's emotionally satisfying to find a scapegoat and something to place the blame on to explain away all the all the problems that we're facing but yeah i think that's kind of that's kind of taking the lazy way out in a sense in that you know you're not um i don't know it's like uh like you're kind of avoiding confronting the possibility that you know your instinct of who to blame could be wrong um yeah, I think mentioned it before, but that is what you see in the media. They do prey on that human instinct, which is it's natural, but they know that in a situation like this war in Ukraine, people are looking for someone to blame. So it's easier to just pin it all on one side and yeah. Yeah, essentially, that's the that's the game plan. I think. Yeah, and I think it's easy to blame. I think it's I think it's easy and convenient to place blame on other people and not look inward to the own our own problems that we have going, or you know the the contributing factors that we might have had in these situations. So it's always easy to be like, oh well. Putin caused this problem or, you know, whatever the situation might be, but not really look and self-evaluate and say, you know, could we have had something to do with this problem? What could we have changed to fix this problem? I think one of the biggest things is if you look at, especially from a NATO perspective, and I could somewhat understand this from Putin's point of view, NATO has been encroaching on Russian territory for a long time and, and weaponizing pushing weapons closer to the borders of Russia. And so from his perspective, I could see that as as an infringement on the deals made with Gorbachev. So you, you have to look at this holistically. You can't just place the blame on one person, one country, one thing. You really have to take everything into account, evaluate all the factors, even the factors you might have played as a country, as a person, whatever it might be, whatever the situation is. I think it's it's always easy to throw the blame on somebody else than take accountability for anything you've done. Yeah, so true. 
It seems like it's and almost like a game of content in some aspects. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, guys, that's all I got for um, world news. Are you guys ready to move on to the, the main topic? Awesome. Cool. Well, um, we're going to cover three of the amendments today because we kind of felt like they all went together. So we're going to hit the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth because they all fall into the justice system. I think what would play into the justice system and trials and kind of the law. So maybe we could just, we'll go through one by one and we'll, we'll just give them a brief overview and then we'll, we'll chat about them as always. I'll go ahead and read the Sixth Amendment, which says, in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy trial, a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and to be informed of the nature and cause of the accusation to be confronted with the witness against him, to have compulsory process up for obtaining witnesses in his favor and have the assistance of counsel for his defense. So, I mean, this really lays out what, uh, I think the importance of this one, at least from my perspective, is that it really lays out what the trial process a public trial and should look like and and the the rights given to whoever the whoever the um criminal whoever the person being prosecuted is and i think this is important because again like we discussed in the last episode you're innocent until proven guilty and sort of lay out kind of the framework of what a just and fair trial looks like, I think is, I think is pretty important. Um, it starts out with saying, the Q shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed. So that's the, the big thing that sticks out to me there, at least, is, is the impartial jury. And, and today, especially with social media, I think this is really tough. Because there's so, in, in the news, the 24-hour news cycle, it's really tough to get an impartial jury because a lot of times when you commit a crime, especially a big, you know, um, a big crime, there's so much information that goes out there. So it's really tough to get an impartial jury. But I, the importance of that is that you should have the impartial jury. So you have people that are only looking at the facts presented by the prosecution and the defense to come to the conclusion of whether this person is guilt, if there's enough evidence to prove this person was guilty. Um, and if not, then they're innocent. So I think that's the, the big one. Um, also, uh, I think the other thing I get from this first kind of segment is it, it says the right to a speedy and public trial. Uh, and I, 
guess I never really thought about this until I was doing a little bit of reading on it today, but I could see where a speedy trial could be especially important if you're trying to clear your name. Say you're an innocent person, you've been, you've kind of been thrown under the bus and you need to clear your name. But without a speedy trial, your name could be defamed and, and you could lose everything in life, right? Um, you're, and so I think having that speedy, I think having that speedy trial or the, or the, uh, with a trial without any unnecessary delays is, is important because it gives the person, the, the defendant, the ability to clear their name as quickly as possible. Um, Do you guys have anything that stands out for you in kind of that first statement? Or should I move on? Yeah, for me, that was pretty cut and dry, I think. Don't have any uh, keen insight or anything on it. I think you, you laid it out pretty well. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Um... The next part that I think stood out to me. Um, so it goes on to say, which district shall have been previously ascertained by the law and informed by the nature and cause of the accusation to be confronted with the witness against him and to have a compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor. So there's both witnesses against you and witnesses um, for you so you should you should not only have people testifying against you but also people testifying in your defense so having both of those i think is important for a fair and just trial um and then the, the last and final statement is and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense and this affords i think this is probably one of the most important things in this is everybody has a right to uh, counsel. So nobody should be denied the right to, right to counsel. So everybody should have somebody um, fighting for their, their defense, no matter who they are. Even if they don't have their own private lawyer to be afforded somebody by the state. Uh, so I think that's that kind of lays it all out. I think at least from my perspective, the sixth one, the Sixth Amendment is important because it, it lays out kind of what a, a fair, just trial looks like in a manner that's pretty straightforward. So I think that's, I think it's, it's good to have in writing because otherwise I feel like it could get really twisted and, and construed on what is and is not a fair trial so uh if you guys are ready we could move on to the seventh tom do you want to take this one want to read it sure awesome um the seventh amendment reads in suits and on common law with the value of controversy shall exceed twenty dollars the right of trial by a jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise re-examined by any court of the United States. 
and according to the rules of the common law. Now, I'm going to be honest. I read this one, guys, and I still don't really understand totally <laughs> what it means. I don't know about you guys. I still am a little bit confused, but I did do a little bit of research online, and I pulled this um, from a a website that deals with a lot of I'm sure they deal with a, a, a lot of legal definitions and stuff like that, but it says that, and this was some pretty good insight. I'll, I'll link this below so people can, can read, but it says, and, and this is probably the, the best insight I'll be able to give us. And maybe we can just discuss a little bit, but this would be better than anything I can say. It says the seventh amendment continues a practice from English common law of distinguishing civil claims, which must be tried before a jury from claims and issues that may be heard by a judge alone. It only governs federal civil courts and has no application to civil courts set up by the states when those courts are hearing only disputes of state law. Again, I'm not a legal expert here, but from what I can gather, um, this is just a distinguishing of the civil of, of a civil claim versus like it says a, a claim that a judge can hear alone i'm assuming that when it says um in suits of common law where the value of controversy shall exceed twenty dollars um the right of trial by jury shall be preserved so I don't know what $20 and if this is still the case, but I don't know if $20 is still the, uh, the um, kind of gold standard. So I guess if you had a, a controversy that was under $20, if you'd, <laughs> if you wouldn't get um, the right of trial by jury, but essentially what it's saying is any or most um, controversies or larger controversies shall be, uh, there's the right to trial by jury and not just a, a judge. And I think maybe the example I can think of this here is if you go to like a, a traffic claims, like if you get like a ticket and you want to dispute a ticket, you go and you stand before the judge and you dispute the ticket with the judge versus if it's like a large sum of money, then you'd obviously get the right to a jury to hear. And I think the difference is there is maybe the larger you you have the right if you need it to have a jury decide if you're if you should be let's let's say you get in a lawsuit you have the right of the jury to be there to make the decision if in in case of a lawsuit so i could i could see where that that protects the right of the person to a fair trial and i think that's kind of the point again of the seventh Seventh Amendment, just like the sixth, is to protect the right of the people to a fair and just trial. And then uh, we'll just move on to the eighth. Um, and this is probably the one that I've, I knew the most about. Um, the Eighth Amendment is excessive bail should not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishment inflicted. And I know that last sentence for me is the one that stands out the most. 
no cruel or unusual punishment shall be inflicted. Um, I think this is most commonly mentioned in the context of the death penalty. Um, I mean, it also, uh, it also mentions excessive fines, um, which I would assume are more in the case of civil, uh, more, more in civil cases. Uh, than criminal cases, but I don't know if you guys, I don't know what guys' thoughts are on the cruel and unusual punishment and how that relates to the death penalty. I know that's like a really controversial subject, um, but coming from uh, the founding fathers' perspective, I could see why maybe it was important to them to to have something written in our in our bill of rights that kept the government from being able to enforce cruel and unusual punishment on citizens without um without legal legal measures i don't know what you guys' thoughts are on that yeah i guess this is kind of taking it in a little bit different direction but i think it's interesting to note the context that under which this amendment was created because at the time in the society they were living in in any other country you were still in the judicial system allowed to behead people you still had people being hanged drawn and quartered in england um so it's interesting to have a um A system so so different and more, I guess, humane, humane thinking and thought, I should say, um, than the rest of the world. And what I find kind of funny is, like, if you look at like American history, I wouldn't say this has necessarily been followed very, very well. Because if you look at like, especially the Wild West days of America. I mean, people, they were out there hanging people left and right, you know, they were, they were enforcing all sorts of crazy punishments. So I don't know, I kind of find this one funny because I could see why at the time they had this because like you said, there was, there was really no other country that didn't have cruel or unusual punishments. And so I just kind of chuckle because I'm like, really we didn't see the removal of this until pretty recently i would say and for the most part even um i mean we had i mean some states i could be wrong on this but i think some states still even have the electric chair i could be completely done out but i know it was a somewhat recent way of um execution for the death penalty so I know this, the eighth is always the big argument against the death penalty, but it is interesting to see, like, even after this was put in place, it kind of continued a little bit anyways. Yeah, I don't know too much about the, uh, the conversation on the death penalty, but... Um... It would be interesting to find out more. It's interesting too that they 
have in here no excessive bail or excessive fine so it's almost like it keeps the person from being um, thrown into jail to pay something they can't afford which is interesting mm -hmm. to me um, in a way it it seems like it's it protects them from a future punishment outside of what the court deems so like let's say if you were put into jail for like five years or something but your fine was like a million dollars you're probably paying that off for a lot longer than just the five years in prison yeah it's almost like they just put a cap on if you're in jail you'll be in jail and let's try to jail you're out of jail so it's pretty interesting yeah, I do find it interesting because, like I said, all three of these amendments really are focused on protecting the citizen for, from unjust, unfair trial or unjust, unfair punishments in the legal system. So while these not might not be the, you know, the most really... Um, I mean, they're pretty straightforward as, as far as how they're written, but I think they do provide a, a, a really good structure for how our legal system functions to this day. Um, and, and they still protect the American citizen from the unjust, unfair systems that I think the Founding Fathers kind of saw in or during their time um, across the world. So I think it's, I think it's pretty interesting to see, and this is not to say that the American legal system is perfect. And there's obviously a lot of cases where people still do get, they, they're treated unfairly and they get put away for life or even given the death penalty for crimes they didn't commit. Um, so it's not to say that it's perfect in any way, but I think, comparatively to other systems i think this one i think it's important to have these these rights because they really do set some checks and balances to make sure that the american citizen really does get the most fair trial possible and 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 preserves their freedoms until they are proven guilty so it was it was pretty interesting reading through these these aren't always the most exciting to go through but i think it it makes you sit and kind of ponder, you know, why do we have this? Why is this important? I don't often sit and contemplate the Sixth and Seventh Amendment. Yeah, I don't know. More. I don't know if anybody does. <laughs> well, yeah, I think a few people might, but it's it's one of those things where. Um, it would be great to know more of the history behind them and then read why they formed them in this way. But I was just thinking there's this movie, um, I think it's called Sophie Scholl, where it's about this um, lady and two friends that were trying to speak out against the Nazis in World War II. And they were caught and put on trial for what they did. And it was pretty much they just sat in a room and the judge said, you're condemned, and that was it. 
was in the jury, there wasn't any defense, there wasn't anything. And when they tried to defend themselves, they just said that you're trying to overthrow a regime. So they're just considering the treason got rid of them. So that's kind of what happened in the French Revolution as well. You know, they would just say you're an enemy of the state, get rid of you. Um, so I think with these amendments, what the founding fathers were trying to make sure what happened is that each person had to have the same process of the system and the justice court. And then through that system, it would be deemed probably the best way whether or not they're innocent or guilty. And then, then it's not like the court system is just a, a front for the government to get rid of people they don't like. It has to be from something a person did and has to go through a lot of steps. So it, it slows down corruption, I think. And I think that's a common thread through a lot of this. A lot of these, a lot of these amendments is it slows down the corruption and it, it really protects the, the citizen to the, to the highest extent possible. So we're pretty lucky. I always think about that, especially as I look at like a lot of countries today, like China and Russia and even, you know, even going to some of the countries in Europe, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily want to be on trial in any of those countries. So it makes me, uh, and hopefully I never have to be on trial guys, but it, at least I feel somewhat confident in the system to know that if I ever was in a situation where I had to go to, go to trial that I'd feel somewhat confident in the system that it's there to, to protect my rights. And um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's something again, that probably could be improved. Like I said, it's not perfect, but we have something to be really great for grateful for as Americans to, to have those, to have those rights. So. So true. Well, guys, that's all I have. Um, and if you guys don't have anything else, I'm uh, I'm ready to uh, close it out for the day. Yeah, I think we had a good discussion this week. I mean, we had a lot of good topics. I think. We all seem to share some pretty good information. I think on the current topics and then kind of our. Um, insights and what we see is going on and then trying to just take a more objective view of what's happening and not get too feverish or panicky because then it just seems like everything starts to fall apart and you're too worried about what's happening in the world and you like can't even go to work anymore because you're too stressed out but if you can talk to guys you know like you too and just kind of talk things out, think about things a little more, get some different viewpoints, it makes you feel a lot more at peace. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I always find it amazing, like as we're talking, 
how like easy it is to tie back like a lot of these current events into the things we talk about later in the podcast as far as our rights as Americans and, and some of the documents that were written you know over 200 years ago it's it's really amazing still how relevant they are in today's world and so every every podcast i always think oh wow that really relates back to this or that relates back to that and so it's always i think that's always really cool to see in our discussions but mm-hmm. that today was a good one guys well um i'll close it out thank you for listening and making it through this podcast. Uh, If you haven't already, I would encourage you to subscribe to both our Spotify and our YouTube. Uh, Turn on the post notifications just so you get updates when we post every Friday. Um, If you also are inclined, we have our Instagram, the Green Dragon Podcast. You can go check that out. The link should be in our Spotify description and YouTube and the show notes as well. You can also go check out um, our parent company, Lifeline. There's some pretty awesome stuff on there as well. Uh, we've got stories we've of uh, Americans that have done great things. We've got a whole line of apparel that's pretty awesome, pretty patriotic. So you can go check that out too. All those links are found in the show notes as well as our Spotify link to our website. So if you guys want to check that out, that'd be great. But be safe this week. Uh, Be a good person. Be a good neighbor. And most importantly, be a good American. Thank you for joining us. God bless.